Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. As a community, we are learning the way of Jesus and serving our city. Redemption Hill is kind of different. We are a collective of micro churches that gather together on Sundays to grow and connect and worship. So don't wait anymore. Join us Sundays at Boise Friends Church in the gym at 10.30 a.m. and get connected to the community you need in this season of your life. All the details you need are at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the training and teaching time from this week's gathering. Stay tuned after the sermon for more info on how to get connected. Isaac's almost done with his, his little bout of COVID. I'm sure right after that, Malia will get it, and then Elsie. So we're just, you know, we'll spend the next eight weeks at home <laughs> doing COVID, which is always fun. Thanks for being here this morning. It's good to be together. Uh, and if we haven't met before, my name's Robert Frazier. I'm one of the elders here, and I uh, do a lot of the teaching around here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, so if you got your Bibles, pull that out. Um, yeah. I wanted to give you a, a brief history of the idea of God. Does that sound like a fun, a fun history lesson today? Uh, the idea of God, the way that we conceive of God, not God's actual nature, who he is, but the way that we talk about God, the way that we think about God, the way that we see God's interaction with us as humankind has changed deeply over history for a couple of reasons. First is we... We see and understand God, what, what Paul says, through glass darkly, through a mirror darkly. It's this bad reflection. We're looking around at the world and at how God has worked through history, and we're always going, how, how do we understand him? We're finite creatures. So there's a limitation to how we can describe and understand God. And also, God has been revealing himself throughout what we understand is that in the beginning, God revealed himself in relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and maybe in its most simple form, he was present with them. He would walk along in the, in the mist of the day, the, the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He was present with them. And then what we see is when they leave the garden, pretty immediately, generation upon generation, forgets what it's like to be in God's presence because they're missing out on God's presence. And so for generation after generation, they tell the stories of what it was like to be in the garden with God, but they, they lose how it was along the way. And so generation on generation, they would uh, break up into smaller and smaller families and tribes that spread out from that uh, the center of the Middle East outward. And a lot of them then developed their own way of describing God that kind of developed into what we would call polytheism. Or What happened was, as they would come into conflict with one another in these tribal city-states in the ancient Near East around 2000 AD, or 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago, um, what happened was they would, they would honor one God, and they kind of went from tribalism to what we call henotheism, which is there's a singular God who is the head of the gods who are a part of the pantheon of that tribal region. And that what they would do is they would say, our God is better than your God, and how we're going to demonstrate that is by conquering you. 
and God's, our God's power is more powerful than your God. And what we see when God starts to reveal himself to Abraham's family around 2000 B.C., is that God reveals himself as the one who is over all. The one true church. In Israel, what we see doesn't, doesn't particularly reject the existence of other supernatural gods out there. What they do is they say Israel is our God. And they understand Israel as, as their tribal God who will be with them and will... Um, he, he will be their power. He will be their strength. And so when they would go out to war, Israel would be holding the banner of Yahweh. And so they, they connected their understanding of the power of Yahweh with the way that he worked in the world through them. They saw Yahweh as their God, something to possess for themselves. And we see hints throughout history that this one God, Yahweh. He promises that his people, Israel, isn't, he's not just for them. We see Abraham are going to be this blessing for all nations. But they think that what that means, in Israel's mind was, they were going to be like the ancient empires that had ruled over them. They were going to bring about God's flourishing by dominion through war. Israel thought that in, when Solomon came along and built this dynastic power in, in the height of, the, uh, of, of Israel, that they would then usher in God's kingdom by bringing dominion over all things, like they had seen the Assyrians, like they had seen the Medes and the Babylonians, and then the Greeks and then the Romans. They, they thought that they would bring God's kingdom through power, through might. They thought that this world empire would bring about the shalom of God's kingdom to the heathen Gentiles. That that's what the blessing of God would look like for those outside of Israel. And when we look back on the ancient world, we read back our, our Western mores and values that were fundamentally not held by the ancient world. And so we have to, anytime we read the Bible, we've got to like disconnect our 21st century thinking and try to get back... <coughs> into that time. The world was a dangerous, difficult place. We think that their lifespan was somewhere in the 30 to 40 year range on average. Um, you see, in, I, I was just kind of working through some of the, the, major, um, the major intersections of the ancient world with Israel. And like you have ancient Canaan, and they would have these you know, temple prostitutes and these babies that were sacrificed to Marduk and to Baal as like a way of like gaining favor from the gods. It was, it was a, it was a religion that was built around blood for the sake of fertility. And then you have Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and these ancient empires. They were built by religious wars with hundreds of thousands of deaths through war for the sake of building these empires. That's how they thought of what it meant to bring their God to the world. Uh, the Greeks, they tried to, to root their empire in the superiority of their ethical thought and through their pantheon of gods that they had gained wisdom from the gods and were giving out to the world. And so they were, they were when, when Alexander 
decided to take over the known world, what he thought he was doing was bringing the wisdom of the gods to the heathen hordes outside of Greece and Macedonia. And then the Roman state that came along right before Jesus, it was the gods themselves establishing a millennial kingdom in the world where the state was the absolute authority. It brought the Pax Romana itself. They believed that what they were doing was the work of the gods. And so all along you have this little tribe of Jews kind of sitting in their little corner in the ancient world, nestled in this intersection of these three continents. And they refused to be a part of these gods who would come along. The Jews would not be assimilated like the other kingdoms. Even you look at Egypt, which was a, a mighty like, like force in the in 1500 to 5,000 years ago, they were this incredible force, and they were completely subsumed by the Greeks. Egyptian culture died with Greek culture coming in and demanding that they become Western, like Macedonia. But this little Jewish place, they refused to bow to the gods of the Romans. Antiochus Epiphanes into its multiple kingdoms before Rome came along. Antiochus Epiphanes was basically rampaging through the Middle East, and he was so mad about the Jews not bowing to him, they said, fine. He goes into the temple, and he says, if you're not going to worship me, I'm going to desecrate your temple. And so he takes a pig and slaughters it in the holy place in the temple to the holy God that he believed would rule over all things, and that was Zeus. There's these Jews who who enjoyed the benefit of the the way of God's kingdom and and the constant threat to their existence because they kept to their own. They would not be assimilated into these dozens of empires who would try to rule her. And uh, even when the northern kingdom, it's taken captive in 722 and it falls to the Assyrian Empire to be assimilated into this Samaritan half-breed. The southern kingdom keeps its distinctive Jewish identity. They don't intermarry with the Babylonians who take them captive. They reject the assimilation attempt over 70 years while they're in Babylon. And then they rebuild a new Jewish home and a new Jewish temple. This distinctive Jewish people was exclusive. You had to be a part of the line of Abraham to belong. You couldn't really join them. I don't know if you realize that, but you, if you're a Gentile like me, you could not belong as a part of the Jewish people. They'd let you hang out, and if you're a really good person and you worshiped Yahweh, they would let you sit in the outer courts of the temple. But they would never let you enter into the holy places because you were filthy, dirty Gentile. It was an exclusive place. You could not belong. The best you could do is just be moral politics, where the, the Jewish leaders would themselves reject Jesus, and then they would reject the early followers of Jesus. And we read all of this um, internal politics. We, we, see, we see them, we, we think back and we think, oh, uh, they, this, was, this was an internal Jewish thing. And we see... And we see the Jewish people as a barrier to the kingdom of God in the first century when we look back. 
But that's a misreading. That's a misunderstanding of what was happening in the first, in the first century. They were, Israel was God's plan from the very beginning of history. They were God's chosen people who had a particular role to play in the unfolding of God's redemptive history. God himself was showing who he was, and he set aside a people for himself. They weren't special because they were really good. If you've read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, the thing that you should walk away with is, we're not very good at following God, and that's demonstrated by Israel. The whole Old Testament is just Israel failing at the covenant that God sets before them over and over and over again. They're not particularly special because they're good. Although they were chosen by God because Abraham was available to God and listened to God. He was a righteous man who heard God's voice. And because of that, God set his family aside for a particular mission that they had. But what happened along the way is that the people of Israel thought of themselves as God's gift to humanity. They thought of themselves as an exclusive club that had to be protected from the outside hordes. And what we're going to see today is that they really misread God's plan for history. Called out of this world to join him in creating a counter kingdom filled with the righteousness of God, with morality and beauty and generosity and spiritual power and physical healing and living in alignment with the created order in harmony with one another, with God and with the world. And crazy enough, it wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for a much larger group. And around the mid-50s, so this is somewhere 15 to 20 years after Jesus died, rose again, and started his church, we see in Ephesians chapter 3 God's plan revealed in a special way. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, now you remember, we've been talking about like this this sermon series is called The Plan because Ephesians is all about this secret special plan that God was revealing primarily first through Ephesus, this, this book that was, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, a sermon that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, this is weird language. Like this, the way that he wrote this around like this special mystery that he has, that's been revealed primarily to Paul and then we see to Peter as well. But this is, this is new. This is literally in the history of the world. No one has claimed this about any God. This is what. Paul is like giving this mind, it seems so normal to us because we're in 20th century, 21st century. But read the mystery of it. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not known to the sons of Metals or fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now we think that this was written right around the time of um, what we see in Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Peter have this, uh, they have a big fight over should we allow the Jews and the Gentiles to continue to uh, intermingle and allow the Gentiles to not have to follow all the ways of the Jewish call. Now, this is, this is 
there's, I think, really important things for us here. So I want, I want to get you in the mindset. Literally, he just said this for the first time in the history of the world, okay? This is a brand new idea. And the brand new idea is this, that a tribal God that belongs to my people and is there to help my people win wars against other people is not just for my people. That tribal God have a problem with? Well, he's have a conflict of interest. Who wins? Who takes over Mesopotamia if, if they have the same gods? They have to have other gods that are warring in these heavenly places, but what we're seeing is God is opening the doors. Verse 7, of this gospel, now listen, he says, of this gospel. What is the gospel here? The gospel is that God is calling himself a family that's made up of all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart of what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. This was a radical revolution from God that required divine revelation because no human on earth had ever thought, you know what, my God is for my enemy. No human on earth had ever said, you know what, my God is not there to protect me and to give me dominion over the world. No person had ever thought, my God is for the world outside there. And it's because our, we as social creatures are built our identities are built through our connection with our people. Like, uh, our identities are established by who we're connected to. Our family, our village, your city, your state, your nation. Whoever you're connected to, that's who you are. That is who you are. Your family is who you are. Your work is who you are. Your neighborhood is who you are. Those people that you do life with determine your identity. And for most of human history, our religious identities were a proxy for the xenophobia that we wanted to exhibit. We wanted to hate our enemies, and so we used religion as a way to justify our ways of creating war against people that we wanted to destroy that were a threat to us. That's what religion was built for in the ancient world was to justify my violence against my neighbor. Our God versus your God for the supremacy of the universe. And in the ancient world, it wasn't just a thin religious identity like we have today. We, we add on Christian to a bunch of other things. It's like, oh yeah, I'm an American. I'm a Frasier. I am from Boise. I'm from Idaho. And I, I go to, I, I believe this set of things. And it's, it's, a, it's a part of my identity. For them, their national identity, their tribal identity, was built around their religious identity. It was all one identity. It's the fundamental thing that connected us as a people. Our tribal gods gave us our sense of being. We, and if you read most ancient religious texts, they're built around an origin story of how their god made them for a purpose. And so their whole identity is not just this I'm connected to these people because I was born here. It's 
God put me here. The gods put me here because these are my people and were built to be strong and to dominate the other gods and the other people. Whoever was the most powerful of the gods would impose their gods upon the nations. And then along comes Jesus and throws every religious thought upside down. The God of the universe doesn't need your nation. It doesn't need your tribal identity. It doesn't. Verse 4, I want to go back there. When you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is an epiphany. God breaking into the hearts of men through, literally with Paul, it was a vision. With Peter, it was a dream that God had to interpret through Cornelius. It threatened their lives. When they started to say that the God of the universe was for the Gentiles, it was a threat to the Jewish establishment around them. And them bringing a religious identity that was against the Roman state was a threat to the Roman state itself. When you look at the first 300 force on the battlefield, right? If you look at it, the first 300 years, we followed our Savior into the suffering of death at the hands of the enemies of God. Because we fundamentally believe that those enemies of God were meant to be called into his family. And that this, this identity of being connected with the one true God could break its way into every ethnic, tribe, national identity in the whole world. Jesus gave some little hints about it, but he didn't reveal the full plan. Isn't that funny to think? Like, God gave Paul something that Jesus hadn't yet revealed. He was waiting for the right time. Because if Jesus had revealed that this was the plan, what would have happened? Well, the Jewish people that Jesus came to, the Jewish people themselves that Jesus was coming to save, they would have rejected Jesus. He would not have had followers. Even the disciples would have rejected Jesus if they thought that what he was doing was meant for the Gentiles. Jesus had to wait and let it be revealed when, his, when the power of the Spirit had already transformed their lives. But we see Jesus give access to Gentiles. We see Jesus giving grace to the Samaritan woman at the well and to the, even one, one of these Roman soldiers in his families that himself would have been an enemy to God's people. God was fulfilling a major piece of his kingdom plan that was going to be revealed in the first century and it would take generations to fulfill. Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. God's plan was not to be exclusive, but to have a radically inclusive kind of family. Most religions have no power on their own to spread throughout the world except through political domination. It's by war and by um, cultural assimilation that religion has spread throughout history. Except one. 
the way of Jesus has worked its way into the hearts of men and women on every piece of this green earth. And it's worked its way through people dying to themselves and bringing the good news that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he was bringing about the flourishing life that everybody is hoping for, where they would be saved from their sin and their brokenness. The gospel has this incredible power to work like yeast throughout the world. The way of Jesus, the plan of God, was to make a people for himself out of all nations. Jews and Gentiles, and even those dastardly Romans, God wanted them to be a part of his family. And, and I think it's, it's hard for us to see how revolutionary this was, how scandalous it was. The God of the universe has a place in his family for all people. You probably don't think this because you have been, you've been going, you've been living in some religious experience of Christianity for a long time, but you didn't belong in God's family. Before Paul pronounced this, you as Gentiles, dirty Gentiles, Jesus even compared us to dogs. That's how, that's how badly the Jewish people thought of us Gentiles. We didn't have a place in God's family, but because of his gospel, because of his grace, because of what he revealed through Paul, you and I have access to the same Father and God who is over all and who is in all. He's called to himself one body in Christ. The God of the universe has a place in his family for all people. We need to see ourselves as adopted orphans into his family. And, and some, some of you are wondering, uh, especially if you're a critical, critical thinker or maybe you're critical of faith and you're still working through questions, well, why weren't the Gentiles included from the beginning? Just raise your eyebrows if you thought that. <laughs> why weren't the Gentiles included from the... I asked that question. Why were the Jewish people... Spe even asked that question is that we think that God should include all people. And the only reason we think that is because of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. This is a radical new way of thinking. We ask that question because we think that Jesus died for all people. And when they heard that Jesus died for all people, they, they just assumed that Jesus meant all Jews. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they thought. We ask that question because we assume that God would be for all the nations. But this is a radical transformation of the way of thinking about the God of the universe. Israel was set aside for a very particular purpose. And here it is. So that God would have himself a people who would get what he was up to. It was just a starting point. Because if the rest of the world wasn't... They were set aside so that those who heard the gospel would see the power of God in the ways that they lived. That when Jesus taught them the real way, that they would get it because they had been hoping for it. Israel was set aside so that those who were far off could be brought near. But it wasn't for them. It was for the world around them. And we kind of have that same problem as Jesus followers now. Um, we have we've started to think that the thing that's been entrusted to us, 
this gospel, that we belong to God's family, even as Gentiles, that is just for us. It's only for those of us who are wise or those of us who are humble or those of us who were brought up in the right families or those of us who heard the gospel. We've started to think that you have to, you have to find it. That, that you, there has to be some reject God, do it because they haven't experienced his power. They do it because they have not seen the goodness of God. They do it because they've seen evil from people who claim to follow Jesus. We want things to be nice and tidy, but God has this history-reaching, start-to-finish plan that requires things to be unfolded in their time. And I think that we're entering into a new season where God's going to reveal his fullness through his people as he transforms us in the way. There's something from this portion of Ephesians that I think is going to help us. And uh, so if you're writing something down, pull out your notes. This is the time, okay? First is this. God's plan is radically inclusive, and people who don't look like they belong, they belong to God's family. I think that we all know that. I think you all probably believe that in your heads. But I think that it has some important outworkings in our lives. It means that we never brag about our status as children. You know what orphans don't do? They don't brag that they're adopted. They're thankful they have a place. And so you're not here because you're, there's something good about you. You're here because God had grace on you. And when we look on a world that's lost and broken, we don't look on them with anger. We look on them with pity and with hope because God's grace is enough for them as well. Second, we don't hate people in the world because some of them are part of God's family and they haven't experienced what they need to yet to join God's family. All those people that you're frustrated with, all those people who are your enemies, all those people who are our political or our... Um, and so we don't have enemies. Jesus' people don't have enemies. They are lost children of the one true God that need to be brought into his family. And so we don't hate people. And we see in Matthew 25 that there's going to be some surprises about who belongs and who doesn't because it isn't because of religious devotion that we belong to God's family, but rather our participation in his kingdom, our adherence to his values. God's plan is radically inclusive, and it means that we have to change the way we think about this world. And the second is this. The way of the kingdom isn't some folk tribal religion that's just meant for people who get it. It's not just meant for Americans. It's not just meant for people in this room or the people in churches throughout our cities. The power of the gospel is a worldwide, all-inclusive thing that's accessible to everybody. And it's powerful even for people who don't look like Jesus followers at all. You can believe that your coworkers and your neighbors and your family are beloved children of God who are lost, and he is seeking after them day and night. He is giving them visions, and he is working and giving them grace to start to believe, and that we need to look on them and say, God is at work, and he wants them. 
Another, another letter of, of, we think, Paul to, to the Romans says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving anyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is the good news, that the gospel is for everyone. I want to go back to verse 8 of this passage. It says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery hidden for ages in Christ who created all things so that the church, us, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this manifold witness, so that through the church this manifold wisdom, this is the way of God for all of creation to flourish. That's the way that God is making his kingdom known to all of mankind is your life my life, the power that comes from him. And so it's not something that we make happen on our own, but something we receive in relationship with him. All people need it. They're looking for it. And every way you see people searching for the, the solutions in our world, they're all looking for the manifold wisdom of God that's been revealed to us in our lives. And lastly, this is how that verse ends in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We need this boldness and confidence in a suffering season because God has a plan to take our lives and to turn it into the gospel for all people everywhere. I, I, I feel like it's so hard to get back into the first century and understand how radical... The gospel itself is powerful. The good news that people belong to his family is powerful. It's not some private folk religion that we practice because it was handed down to us by our parents. It's powerful. And we can trust that God's plan is going to bring all things under his authority in his timing and through his work. And so what do we do? We share boldly that the life of God is coming. We walk humbly, and we trust that truth plus grace plus time equals gospel transformation in our family and our friends. And I think that the only way for us to, to end our time together is to spend some time praying, to spend some time praying for the people in our life that God himself died for that have not experienced the fullness of the gospel who don't know his plan to reveal himself to all mankind and pray that God himself will be at work in our community. So let's pray. The band can come up and we're just going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray out loud. Pray out loud for your neighbors. Pray out loud for your families. Pray out loud for... Uh, s some of you need, need this gospel to take root in your lives. 
So let's, let's just pray together. I'm going to create some space, some, uh, just some empty time for you to pray, either by yourself or out loud, and then I will close this. And then we'll finish up by taking communion. And as we receive communion today, I want to, I want to remember that this, this little thing that we take each week of, that represents Christ's blood and Christ's body is literally uniting us together with the one holy called out people of God that's existed from time immemorial past to time immemorial future, that it is only through this that we find the grace of God. So let's pray together. On our own, we don't look like we belong in your family. We don't look like your kids. We love death and sin and destruction. We pursue it day and night. We let the lies of this world deceive us. We make gods in our own image. We lie and we cheat and we steal and we take what we want because we don't know you. But by your grace, you made a way. By your grace, you showed us that there is a way to walk with you. And that it's not by our own power, it's not by our own righteousness, but it's by your loving kindness. Lord God, may that break our heart for the people around us. May, us look on, may we look on this world with compassion. Prayers for my family. Lord God, I pray that each of us, that our hearts would be broken for those who are far from you. That we would pursue them like you pursued us. That we would invite them to experience the power of the gospel to transform by learning the way of Jesus. That we would boldly step out and proclaim that the manifold wisdom of the gospel to bring salvation to all mankind, that you would call people to yourself from every nation, that it's available to everyone. And we pray, Lord God, that we as your people would look like you, that we would sound like you, that we would live like you, so that the world might know that your gospel has power to transform, to bring life. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen, people. That's what communion is meant for. Thanks for listening to our weekly podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get them in your podcast feed. You can find ways to connect with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection. Fill out the form for a free gift from us. We care about you and want to help you find your way back to God. Follow at Redemption Boise on Instagram for regular encouragement.